Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are discussing memories. Specifically, all of the memories we see in the series, with a few notable exceptions. <laughs> isn't there like um isn't there like a song called Memories? Is that from the musical Cats? I don't know. That musical, I've never I don't understand that. I've never seen it. I was just thinking, thanks for the memories. (laughs) (laughs) I know. When you said that, I was, like, trying to finish, like, a lyric. Yeah. We're discussing memories. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I have no idea. Our patron of the episode is Beth. Thank you so much for your support. Um, We teased this on our January Patreon episode, but... I'm going to tease it here as well. Our February Patreon episode, I'm very excited for. Mm. It should be a really fun time. Um, so, the um, what am I? What should I say to like? Um, it will involve rankings. Yeah, specifically pitting Andre and I's rankings against each other. I just don't think they're going to be that different, but <laughs> I guess yeah. Um, but I think it'll be a super exciting episode, a little bit, like, more loose and, like, free form than our episodes generally are. Mm-hmm. Not that ours are generally, like, super regimented anyway. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited for it. It's kind of like a different format that we've, than we've ever done before. And it has to do with some themes that generally come up around February. Wow. So, okay. if that intrigues you... Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. And if you want to hear this episode that I'm hyping up so much, you will have to become a patron at at least $5 a month. Yeah. But you can just do that for one month if you want. Yeah. And you will also, for however long you're a patron, you will have access to the backlog of Patreon episodes that we've been doing. So... Right, like we just did, we just recorded our January Patreon episode, and it discusses one of the very important memories that we are going to to discuss today in a lot more detail. So, yeah, yeah I'm not going to say too much about it today, because it is one in many memories, but if you want to hear all about that and the conversation that follows, you could go become a patron and listen yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're recording this on the last day of the giveaway. It'll be, it'll be out by the time, uh, the giveaway winners, um, from our Instagram giveaway have been announced. So thanks everybody for entering and thanks for your enthusiasm with the objects that we picked, uh, the prizes that we picked and hopefully we'll be able to do something like that again sometime soon. Yeah. And just tying it back to our patrons, that giveaway was really only possible because of the support that we've gotten from our patrons. And we also are doing currently a giveaway exclusive to our patrons. Mm. So if the teasing of the two episodes isn't enough to motivate you to go check out our Patreon, um, 
the odds of you winning this patron exclusive giveaway are pretty high and i think we picked out a pretty cool object for that as well so if you are interested in it in entering that you should go check out our patreon yeah definitely big takeaways just check out our patreon <laughs> yeah and now let's get into the episode <laughs> so first i'm just going to talk a little bit about like the significance and like the importance of memories throughout the series we see memories multiple different times throughout multiple different books and through multiple different forms (laughs) so like the most common and like the one you probably think of the most is like pensive memories so this is all of the like get to know Voldemort memories I think is what I like called it in my notes later Mm -hmm. and all of the Snape memories are used through the pensive but there are some outliers um there is the memory in Chamber of Secrets, which is like the first instance we see of memory of memories being used as a story storytelling technique, um, and that is through the diary. Uh, the diary functions pretty much exactly as we see the pensive function later in the series, um, but this is from the perspective of Tom Riddle, so that's a little bit different, and it's through the diary. So that I'll talk a little bit about that later, but that's just a another way that we see memories as well as during occlumency lessons and this is like when harry like fights back against snape and he enters snape's mind that way (laughs) um it's not like super clear how that happens but but they're not really like full-fledged memory the marauder's memory is is pensive oh oh but like the one that happens during occlumency i would still consider like oh oh i see what you're saying yes yes because he was just keeping his memory safe in the book or in the movie it's like presented a little bit differently yeah and i think even like by that in the in the book though there are like when harry fights back a little bit you see like snippets but like the full-fledged memory is still the pensive memory yeah. yeah um So memories as a storytelling technique, I think, is really interesting. Um, For the most part, memories are, like, the purpose of them are to kind of, like, info dump on the readers and Harry to get both the reader and Harry caught up to wherever we need to be information-wise at this point in the story to, like, move forwards. And the memories are a way that the author can do that by not just having like a monologue from a character being like imagine if Dumbledore's like monologued the memories that he personally had Mm -hmm. um for like the get to know Voldemort series um the memory using memories just is like a different way to give the reader and Harry the information that we need by it not being a monologue by us getting that like experience firsthand basically so I think it's Mm -hmm. a really interesting storytelling technique um it's it's like we've talked about before specifically in our patreon episodes about how rarely we are with like from harry's not from harry's perspective throughout the series mm-hmm. and these memories are still from harry's perspective because we are like viewing the memory through harry but the memory is from somebody else's perspective so we get to like see events and we get to learn things that happen like before harry was even born but still get that firsthand experience. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, like, we also get, like, 
Harry and we get to see things that like people wouldn't have told him otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like an important distinction from the monologuing part. Is that yeah. like Snape would never have told Harry about uh, his worst memory, but yeah. <laughs> we get yeah. to see it because Harry's a little nosy. Yeah. Um, and throughout the book, the information that we gain in these memories use like a couple different or serve a couple different purposes like one a lot of them are used I guess not a lot of them two that came to my mind are used to kind of like further further present a red herring to the reader so specifically like in the diary memory like I mentioned before in that memory we learned that like Hagrid was the one who was blamed for the opening of the chamber of secret of the secret the chamber of secrets so like that kind of not that Hagrid was ever like really a red herring because I think Harry like pretty quickly dismissed that Hagrid would, would have been yeah. the one to open the chamber of secrets but like to the reader I could buy that some people like in the moment might become suspicious of Hagrid in that mm-hmm. moment um another moment of this even more directly I think is the Karkaroff memory we like have heard about him being a death or we death eater we've heard about him being a bad guy but in this memory we like very clearly see it it also presents in that same like group of memories Ludo Bagman as also a red herring we see Mm -hmm. him being prosecuted and he's kind of been a shady character throughout Goblet of Fire up to this point anyways so that adds even further mystery to like what's going on so in those couple like specific instances memories are used to kind of like either lead the reader in like the right direction through the meeting of Barty Crouch in that memory but also kind of like stray the reader to like other red herrings that are possible mm-hmm. um memories also serve to show the truth of what's going on outside of Harry's perspective so like specifically any memory involving Snape basically whether it's the occlumency lesson one like Snape's worst memory or later on at the end of the book these kind of like audrey was saying it gives harry perspective that he would not have gained otherwise except for through like a direct first person count memory um so that just gives the reader more information and then along with that it's also just used for info dumps kind of like i was saying before like specifically with the like get to know voldemort series Mm -hmm. of memories like instead of dumbledore just like laying all of that information out in a monologue type way to the reader and to harry we get first person accounts and we get to see the memories and experience them um and then i already mentioned like the different ways and devices that memories are seen throughout the series yeah so and then I'm just going to talk more about the pensive because obviously that is the major way that we see memories throughout the series. Um, and there's some pretty cool information about pensives. Like, I don't know. It, there's, I, it had me thinking and I feel like I learned a lot of stuff because I feel like <laughs> I didn't, it's never like fully explained in the series what it is and how it works. It's more just like Harry happens upon it and then Dumbledore's like, yeah, you just saw memories. Like, <laughs> that's it. Um, so first, just the etymology, um, because pensive is spelled P-E-N-S-I-E-V-E, um, which being a homonym of pensive, like, meaning seriously thoughtful and deep, um, but it's also a pun because the S-I-E-V-E spelling is sieve, meaning, like, alluding to the objects of function of, like, sorting through things, right, because, like, you use a sieve to, like, 
I don't know, like strain out stuff. I always just think of hockey, like chanting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also think of hockey. <laughs> but the Wizarding World writing claims it means alluding to the object's function of sorting meanings from a mass of thoughts or memories. Um, so just generally the object is like a wide, shallow dish made of metal or stone and often elaborately decorated or inlaid with precious stones and carrying powerful and complex enchantments. Um, the depiction in the movies is different, like, throughout. Uh, I think in four, it, like, is on a stand, and then in six, they, they, it's like a floating They, like, frisbee it around. And it's just, like, stainless steel. Um, so it varies, but I think maybe... Like, the image I always see is the one on the front of Half-Blood Prince hardcover with Harry and Dumbledore, like, standing over it. And it's more, like, on a pedestal of its own, I think. So, they are extremely rare objects, mostly because, like, only really advanced wizards use them. And the majority of wizard kind is afraid of using them. So, I was kind of like okay why are people afraid of it like is it confronting the past but Mm -hmm. you could just use it for convenient things or just put memories of like i don't know things you're not like that aren't like deeply meaningful in there but then this revealed something that i was not fully like aware of with the pensive um so i'm just gonna read straight from the the writing here it says the perceived dangers of the pensive relate to its power over memory or thought the pensive is enchanted to create memories so that they become relivable taking every detail stored in the subconscious and recreating it faithfully so that either the owner or and herein lies the danger a second party is able to enter the memories and move around within them Inevitably, those with things to hide, those ashamed of their past, those eager to keep hold of their secrets, or protective of their privacy, will be wary of an object like the pensive. So, it sounds like the thing to be scared of is, like, your memories being viewed by others, um, not, like, the actual powers of the pensive itself. It kind of, like, leads leaves you vulnerable to someone else, like, accessing like personal information about you um but I was like okay well like why wouldn't you just like have your memories like closely locked up because my I have always just thought of the pensive as like it's the vessel that you like pour a memory into and then you jump in and like learn about that memory and then you can take the memory back out but the way it's talked about is that like the memories once you put them in they're like housed within the pensive and you can't like hide them anymore so like once you put it in it's in there and it's like your way of storing that it's like the pensive is like the computer and like you put the files on the computer and they just like stay there and that's where they're housed and I feel like I was kind of led astray by like the movies where Dumbledore has like all the different like vials of memories um and it seems like they're housed outside of the pensive does that make sense yeah Yeah. I I would agree I definitely had never thought that like it makes sense but I've never thought that like memories could not be taken out of the pensive right they're put in um, but it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, like, obviously, Dumbledore is able to, like, st- 
like once you put it in you can go back and relive it as many times as you want yeah like, they're still like findable on the in the pensive so right and like i think like when harry like happens upon like the karkaroff and the trial memories like it's because dumbledore has recently viewed them and they're kind of like at the top of the storage yeah um it's like he'd gone to the recent documents um, like <laughs> file exactly like it really is kind of like computer like yeah um so we're also told that you can use the pensive not to just like store memories but kind of like thoughts and ideas that i guess are kind of memories like thoughts that you have become a sort of memory um but we do see dumbledore at one point like use the hogwarts pensive um in goblet of fire when he's talking to harry and i'll talk about a memory from this conversation later um but he like adds thoughts to the pensive and it's like harry sees him add them and they're like harry's face turning into snape's and the wizardingworld.com writing claims that this is Dumbledore reminding himself of the hidden connection between Snape and Harry. Because it's like Harry's face turns to Snape's and then it's Snape like reporting on how like the dark mark is getting darker. Um, and so this is reminding us it's an Easter egg that Snape was in love with Harry's mother. And I was like, okay, that's a bit of a stretch. But yeah. Um, so because the pensives like house your memories and are deeply personal they're like supposed to be buried with a wizard like the wand it's supposed to be like you know a pensive belongs to one wizard and no one else just like a wand belongs to one wizard and no one else so um any thoughts or memories that are left inside the pensive are also like typically buried with their owner as well um which again, this is like reminding me or making it make more sense why like most of wizard kind is afraid of using pensives. Um, so the one big uh, exception to this is the Hogwarts pensive, which we know of course is not a personal object, but like more like a relic of the school. Um, and it includes all of the headmasters and headmistresses memories who I guess agreed to use it or who wanted to use it so it stores like uh centuries of memories and i just had like a nice thought of like mcgonagall going and like mm. sifting through dumbledore's memories because she missed him um but i feel like this would be like the coolest perk of being headmaster is like getting to just like absorb all of that information like you could just relive like so many things and obviously we don't know that like every headmaster used the pensive as much as for example Dumbledore used it but like you would just be able to like access all of these memories and like relive them firsthand and it'd be so much information it'd be really really cool yeah it's almost like um like the portraits of the old headmasters like on mm -hmm. steroids because you know like the portraits are supposed to be there to help like guide and like help out the current headmaster to the best of their abilities but like portraits aren't really that person you know mm -hmm. it's kind of I think they like describe it as like like a pale imitation like a ghost kind of version of that person but like with these memories it's definitely a lot more like concrete yeah um and the Hogwarts pensive is the only one that we like actually see um, so it's kind of where our image of what the pensive is comes from. Um, it is made of ornately carved stone and engraved with modified Saxon runes, 
which mark it as an artifact of immense antiquity that predates the creation of the school. And there's a legend that the founders discovered it half buried in the ground on the very spot where they decided to build Hogwarts. Um, unsubstantiated legend, but legend all the same. So I just thought that was cool. I feel like I learned a lot about how they actually work and I have a much clearer idea of like, I don't know, what a pensive is and the pros and cons of them. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, Shifting away from pensives, the first memory we see in the series, like I mentioned before, is not one that we see through the pensive. It's one that functions very much like the pensive does. Um, Harry actually like directly compares the two when he does experience the first pensive memory in Goblet of Fire. Um, But the first one is through Tom Riddle's diary. But like I just said, he literally like falls through the pages just like he like falls through the pensive. So it's very, very similar. And maybe even kind of like an early, like maybe the author was still like kind of trying to figure out what, Mm. how memories, how she wanted memories to work. So this could have been kind of like a trial run type thing. Um, But this is the first time we meet young Tom Riddle. And at this point, we don't know that Tom Riddle is Voldemort. So that's like, that's kind of fun. Mm. (laughs) Because every other time we... Yeah, every other time we see Tom Riddle, like, we know that he becomes Voldemort. Um, So, we also, in this memory, like I mentioned before, like, the main purpose of this memory is for Tom Riddle to show Harry that Hagrid was the one who was convicted for opening the Chamber of Secrets the first time 50 years ago and the death of Moaning Myrtle. I would hazard a guess that Tom Riddle slash like Voldemort's soul inside this um, did not understand how close Harry was to Hagrid and how like ineffective Mm. this kind of like red herring would be for Harry because like he immediately is like I don't believe this you know like he 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 like doesn't entertain this ever really being the truth and being the case um but yeah that's like really the main purpose we see like tom riddle walking through the halls we see him encounter like armando dippet and i think even young dumbledore at this time definitely Um, in the movie yeah and then i think this i don't is this the first time we hear about a girl dying the first time that the chambers opened or is this the first time like I think Because so. they show the body being, like, carried out, but it's covered. So, like, Harry still doesn't know it's Myrtle at this point, I don't think. Yeah, no, they don't know yeah. it's Myrtle. Um, I'm just trying to think of, like, when Professor Binns was describing, like, what he knew about the chamber, whether he mentioned that a girl died last time. I don't know. I don't remember either. Um... But yeah, like the main purpose of the memory is to like meet young Tom Riddle, have Harry recognize him at the end of the book when he comes out of the diary and for Hagrid to be set up as like a possible suspect for being the one to open the Chamber of Secrets as well as the spider for being the monster, which I always felt was like pretty weak. Yeah. Um, But anyways, (laughs) like I mentioned, this memory is unique because it's the only one that we see um through the use of like through the medium of the diary um 
the memory is used to like manipulate Harry like I kind of mentioned like it's definitely Tom Riddle slash Voldemort showing Harry what he wants Harry to see mm-hmm. um and like make him suspicious of Hagrid but like I said I really don't think he accounted for the relationship that Harry had with Hagrid and just how unsuccessful that like ploy would be um it's also the like kind of not the first hint but one of the hints of like the uniqueness of the diary and mm-hmm. later we see that it is a horcrux and that's why it's able to function like this anyways um so it's like it's just a little hint to the fact that it's not just a normal diary it's not I mean just kind of like a normal magical diary it is like above and beyond mm-hmm. different and unique definitely um and the purpose of this diary was to get somebody to open the Chamber of Secrets, obviously. And we see that with Ginny. Like, Harry was never the intended target to... I guess once Tom Riddle found out that Harry was there, like, he tried really hard to, like, get the diary to Harry. But, like, Ginny was the one who was going and, like, working to open the Chamber of Secrets. It just kind of was, like, coincidence and a happy accident that the diary happened to fall in fall into Harry's hands. Yeah. And Tom Riddle used that to his advantage. So the next memory we see is the series of trials of suspected slash confirmed Death Eaters. So Harry, quote-unquote, accidentally falls into the pensive while he's waiting for Dumbledore and Fudge to come back to his office in Goblet of Fire. Um, this is the first time we see the pensive. This is the first time we see how it works. This is the first memory that we see through the pensive. Um, and Harry, like I said, immediately compared this to the experience of the memory that he saw through the diary. Um, so he instantly picks up on that it's a memory because he's like, hey, I've been here before. So we see a couple Death Eater trials. The first one we see is Karkaroff. And this isn't really a trial. He's trying to trade information to get Mm. out of Azkaban about other Death Eaters. He mentions a few. This is, he says, Snape at the end, which, like, Harry took to obviously mean that (laughs) Snape was a Death Eater and is still a bad guy. And I think even, like, brings us up to Dumbledore when he comes out of the memory and sees Dumbledore again. He's like, Snape is a Death Eater. Like, how could you let him? Like, blah, 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 blah. Um, The next one, or... And like I mentioned before, the like inclusion of Karkaroff here is like obviously to add to him being the red herring throughout Goblet of Fire as him being the one who entered Harry's name into the Goblet of Fire, like him being behind mm-hmm. all of these things. Um, the second trial we see, which is one that I totally forgot about. I, I'm really glad I went back. I like listened to these memories. Um, which is the trial of Ludo Backman, where he was accused of passing right. along information to Death Eaters. Um, and so, like, the purpose of this, I believe, is to add, like, more mystery to Bagman. Like I said, up until this point in the book, he's, like, been kind of sketchy. Like, we obviously find out that that is due to, like, gambling debts and his relationship with the goblins. Um, but we see kind of where the animosity between Barty Crouch Sr. and Ludo Bagman comes from. Like, he, the mystery surrounding Ludo Bagman is even more and, like, kind of presents him as almost a red herring like definitely not as obvious as Karkaroff but kind of like a secondary red herring that like if you pick up on Karkaroff being too obvious you're like oh so Bagman yeah especially because like Bagman's trying so hard to like help Harry yeah or get Harry to cheat and get Harry to win which you don't know like why yeah 
Um, and then the last trial we see, which is obviously like the most important one to come out of this, is the trial of the Lestrange brothers, Bellatrix, and Bertie Crouch Jr. <laughs> um, so, and this memory is like really important, actually. It's how we learn how Harry and the reader learns about Neville's parents. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot that this was the first time um, that we learn about this. Um, so that was really interesting. <laughs> we get to see real Moody for the first time as well, which I had never mm. thought about before. Because, like, we hear about real Moody at the very beginning, but, like, from Arthur's perspective. Like, yeah. we hear about him talking and, like, to go see him, I think. But this is the first time, like, Harry and the reader encounter the real Moody. Um, we are introduced to Barty Crouch Jr. as a character, and we learn more about Party Grouch Sr. and his background and maybe some reasons as to, like, why he is the way that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think we'd already been presented with this, like, he was, like, pegged to be the next minister and then, like, it all fell apart. Mm-hmm. And he's been, like, stuck in this office job ever since then, like, not really being able to move up. Yeah, and this is the first time we meet Bellatrix, right? Yes. So, obviously, Harry does not know, like, what role she's going to play, but we meet, like, two major villains in this series, like, Barty Crouch in this book specifically, Mm -hmm. and then, like, Bellatrix obviously will, like, come back. Yeah. Like I said, this, like, this specific part of this memory, I feel like is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, another, like, we also see Rita Skeeter throughout these memories, Mm -hmm. and I don't think she's ever, like, presented as, like, a red herring, but she's also just kind of, like, a character that's around and, like, present. Yeah. That book that we also see in these memories. Um, But, yeah, so obviously that sets up, like, a lot of the reveal that we get at the end with, like, Barty Crouch Sr., being broken out of Azkaban, we meet Barty Crouch Seniors, or sorry, Barty Crouch Junior and Barty Crouch Senior's wife. We meet for the first time, mm-hmm. which also she'll play a big role in kind of the reveal at the end. But how Junior got out of Azkaban, um, and like that whole story. Um, like I said, we learn about Neville's parents for the first time. We meet the real Moody for the first time. This is just like such a crucial info dump, mm-hmm. um, and like really directly ties to the reveal at the end in such a cool way yeah I without, know, like this is just so important without this memory like the payoff at the end is so weak yeah you know like because there are like the other hints to something with crouch seniors family going on right but like stuff at the quidditch world cup and that kind of stuff but like the the payoff at the end makes no sense like harry wouldn't like even know who junior was at the end the reader wouldn't even really know who junior was besides like what you hear from Sirius. so mm-hmm. like it's so much more valuable to like see this and then get Sirius's take on it later yeah like um I like how you mentioned this ties directly into, like, Harry going to ask Sirius about mm-hmm. these memories. And so we get even more information about Junior and his time in Azkaban. And I think we talked about this in the Barty Crouch's episode. Um, but kind of, like, Junior and, like, the complexities of his character. And I was just, like, re-listening to this memory really drove home, like, either how good of an actor junior is or like 
if something changed between then and mm. now and Gobble to Fire because like he is so much like I didn't know what I was doing and like he puts on such a convincing performance so like it just adds so many questions to like his character that I really don't think are answered still yeah for in sure. my opinion at least or like at least explain to me in a satisfying way <laughs> yeah like was he bad before was he bad he when he joined him? the death eaters yeah and he just was like trying to get out of it or was azkaban really what corrupted him further yeah and he was just like a kid making some bad decisions before obviously extreme version of a kid making bad decisions but yeah <laughs> it's hard to tell yeah so I know I I love those memories too. I think that I mean obviously it's a novel to fire. <laughs> yeah. So another like uh, we always talk about Goblet of Fire. Like there are so many different plot lines going on, and so another um, memory that kind of hits on one of those plot lines and is very brief actually occurs. We see right after in the same chapter, right after Harry gets like pulled out of this uh, trial memory by Dumbledore. And so very conveniently after we already learned everything we need to. Right. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah. Um so Dumbledore is isn't mad, but he's like explaining to Harry what he's seen kind of like this is a memory, like this is a pensive, all these things. Um and they're talking and Dumbledore says something along the lines of like curiosity in itself is not a sin harry referencing to the fact that like harry was curious and was being nosy and um then after saying this very apt thing he uh taps the pensive and brings up a memory of bertha jorkins um and it's her face as a young 16 year old um complaining to Dumbledore about how a boy hexed her because she was teasing him after she caught him kissing Florence behind the Hogwarts greenhouses and um Dumbledore like kind of mutters and laments but like why did you follow him there anyway Bertha like why were you being nosy and so hearkening back to him saying curiosity is not a sin and obviously this is the first time we really see Bertha but we've heard her name a lot and we get this parallel of okay she was he he's remembering her as kind of a curious and snooping around character um, when she was in school and now we know she's missing and Dumbledore is kind of guessing at she was like putting her nose where it shouldn't have been and that's yeah. what's caused this um I was just gonna say do we think that behind the greenhouses like the Hogwarts equivalent of like under the bleachers <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably although they do have like bleachers but yeah. like the Quidditch pitches maybe like too far away a little too far yeah <laughs> I did like uh, I was watching this British YouTuber and he was like is under the bleachers like a real thing in America like do people actually do that I was like I never went to a school that had bleachers so I don't even know if it's a real you didn't thing. have bleachers no oh. I never went to a school that had like a like a football field like on campus yeah oh no definitely never a football field either Weird. I never went to a school that had a football team Weird. I mean until college obviously <laughs> Okay, um, so yeah, that memory is, like, not super important, but it is, like, Harry immediately is, like, 
that was Bruce the Jorgens, like, um, and it just is another thing that is going on in the background. Yeah, and this also leads to Harry asking Sirius about Bertha Jorkins mm-hmm. as well as Barty Crouch Sr. The, le- yes. the next time they meet. And Sirius kind of has like a similar uh, impression yeah. as Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's really the last memory that we see in Goblet of Fire. And then um, the only one I've picked out to talk about in order... Right? Or, no. The next one is also order. So, the first one in order um, is not Dumbledore's memory. It is Snape's memory of... Snape's worst memory, to be specific, (laughs) is the name of the chapter, um, of being bullied by the Marauders. Which I think this is... I think this is a chapter we've done for Patreon. I think so. I think so. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, But, I mean... Pretty much everyone is, this isn't an obscure one. Pretty much everyone should be familiar with this and the events of this memory. Um, Yeah, I also feel like that chapter name is, like, so iconic. Like, we've said it so many times now. There are, like, quizzes on Sporacle that you can take that, like, ask you to name every chapter in the Harry Potter series. I'm like, that's insane. Like, how do people know this? But I feel like Snape's worst memory is, like, one that I know. Yeah. I don't know very many chapter titles, but that's one that I do know. Yeah, you know it, and you know exactly what the chapter is about. Yeah. Um, So this, of course, occurs um, in a canceled Occlumency lesson. So Harry has reported for Occlumency, and... Draco barges into Snape's office and uh, says that they've found Montague. So Snape's like, Snape makes the snarky comment about Harry being there for remedial potions. And then um, he leaves. He says they'll meet some other time. And Harry hangs back. And he's just drawn over to the pensive, which, like, Dumbledore has loaned out to Snape um, for the duration of the Occlumency lessons so that Snape can store some memories in there. So this also lends to, like, it can be temporary storage because I assume Snape doesn't just, like, leave all his memories in there for Dumbledore. So Snape can just, like, store some memories in there so that he doesn't have to be vulnerable to Harry seeing them, which obviously it ends up that he is vulnerable to Harry seeing them because he leaves Harry alone. Yeah, I also feel like Harry should have been extended the same courtesy. Like, yes. do you have any memories you want to protect from Snape? But I don't think Dumbledore is doing this as, like, a personal courtesy. Like, I don't think he's thinking about, like, Snape's, like, yeah. personal worst memories. He's thinking about, like, all of the secretive information guess, Snape yeah. has that, like, Harry really shouldn't get, especially if Voldemort can get into Harry's mind. If Harry learns at this moment yeah. in time that Snape is a spy, that's going to be bad. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like Harry, like, one of the, like, like, Snape seeing Harry's memories, like, specifically, like, the one of him kissing Cho, I feel mm-hmm. like it's such a violation of, like, Harry's privacy. Yeah. And it's so gross to me that I just think that Harry should have also been given the opportunity yeah. to protect some memories. No, I agree. I agree. I think that, like, was not... That wasn't cool. Also, like, there's... I think he, Snape sees, like, memories that Harry has of, like, the mirror of Eris head and, like, seeing his parents. And, yeah. and Snape, like, very much, like, taunts Harry for that. Yeah, so. it's just like the not only does like is it like a 
a violation of privacy in my opinion but like snape obviously doesn't react to seeing them in a very kind way yeah (laughs) so anyway this memory is snape 15 to 16 year old snape's memory following his defense against the dark arts owl exam um so harry of course is in it as like Snape's guest, you know, like the memories from Snape's perspective, but Harry kind of strays as far as he can um, in order to be near his father and Sirius and Remus and by extension, Wormtail. Um, And this memory, I feel like we talked about this a lot in the Patreon episode, but like this memory also really like extends our understanding of how the pensive works and how memories work because Harry's able to like hear and see everything that his father and his friends are doing. Um, even when like he's at a pretty far distance from Snape, he just like keeps Snape within like his eyesight. But it's interesting understanding like Snape couldn't necessarily hear everything that was being said here. And Snape definitely couldn't, like, see what was on the Marauders, like, OWL papers and hear them, like, joking about Remus being a werewolf and stuff. But Harry is able to experience those things through Snape's memory. So this, like, really threw me for a loop, and I'm not going to get into that again. But it does really, like, make you question, like, what what are the limits of a memory? Yeah. Um. So... Basically, the crux of this memory is after the exam, they're all out on the grounds, and James starts picking on Snape just for entertainment, um, calling him Snivellus, uh, hanging him upside down by his, so his pants, pulling his pants down, all these things, um, and they get in, like, a fight, and, uh, Lily intervenes, tells James to cut it out. And Snape calls Lily a mudblood. And then James gets more pissed. And then Lily's like, I would rather go out with the giant squid than with you. (laughs) And basically, this is a bad look for, like, everyone involved, but particularly for James um, and Harry's view of his father, who he has glorified up till this point, because he really didn't know his father, and obviously really didn't know his father at age 15. Um, and it makes him kind of question, like, everything. He's like, was my dad actually a dick? Like, how did my parents even get together if, like, the only evidence I have is, like, four years before they, like, had me? That's wild to think about. (laughs) It was only, like, four years. But... Like, I'm pretty sure Harry questions, like, did my dad use a love potion on my mom? He's, like, like very, like... He's spiraling. Yeah, this causes him to spiral, but obviously Lily's not interested at all in James. James is not portrayed as a good person in this. Um, And Snape pulls Harry out of this memory and flips out at him. Again, conveniently after we've seen what we've needed to see. But, um... And Snape is like, you'll never tell anyone this. But uh, Snape himself is embarrassed because, like, that is his worst memory. And he's afraid of, like, Harry's spreading this information about him. But Harry is, like, sickened by the memory and does not want to tell anyone. And actually, I don't think he even tells Ron and Hermione the extent of it. No, sorry. I just thought about this. 
I am sure this is so stupid. I'm sure so many people have already thought of this, but I think like it's Snape's worst memory because it's when he calls Lily a mudblood, not so much like his most embarrassing moment. And I'd never thought about that before until literally just now. And like, there are so many outcomes of this memory. Like we see Harry obviously like spiral and question like who his father is, who Mm -hmm. Snape is. Like he starts Mm -hmm. to see Snape as the victim. Like obviously Snape is then subsequently directly after like the biggest dick to him when he pulls him out of the memory. But you know, I think he starts to see Snape as like a little bit of a victim in that, in a couple of those moments. Um, We see then like, later on in the series we see the direct like aftermath of this with like lily and snape the fallout of what their happened friendship between them yeah. yeah and like this specific instance of him calling her a mudblood and how that like then spiraled snape down the path that he mm-hmm. goes on dang yeah this really dictates like it's crazy but this memory like really dictates snape's path and it introduces to us even like we we have always known that, like, Snape had this, like, hatred with the Marauders and with Harry's father, but we haven't never to this point really considered Snape having any sort of connection to Lily besides the fact that they were just at school at the same time. So this is the first indication that, like, they had some sort of relationship. And obviously we get that full thing played out in memories later. Um, but, like, you would, up until this point, you would have no reason to, like, know at all or like even suspect at all that like Snape had even spoken to Lily right yeah Yeah. um so it's just yeah it's a lot and then like within the plot of this book it is what causes Harry to like I think he like really needs to see um speak to Sirius and actually ends up speaking to Remus about this as well too um but he like uses this is the first time he uses Umbridge's flu network to um speak to them and they like really don't have a defense for this and this is like a real coming of age moment for harry um like grappling with knowing that his father isn't the like hero and uh knight in shining armor that he's always thought him to be which like i think regardless of who your parents are or whether they're still alive throughout your childhood like every kid has a moment at a time where you like see your parents more as humans and as like people with flaws than as just like um just as like your mom or your dad and I think like this is a real this is a real moment for Harry and I don't think he ever really overcomes this but I think that he does like I don't know that he actively like changes his behavior but I think he starts to see like where he is maybe better than his father and like we know that like Harry was never really a bully yeah I think it's also an interesting way to see the differences in Remus Lupin and Sirius Mm -hmm. too because we see how both of them have kind of like grown from this like obviously they had different hands in the like tormenting of Mm -hmm. Snape um but Remus is able to be like I'm sorry I didn't do more like I feel bad about that I've grown and I've moved on and I know that I've grown and I know that I've moved on whereas like Sirius is kind of like oh that like that's Mm -hmm. no big deal and you Um, see yeah and you see like playing out within the order like and even Lupin's like 
like working alongside Snape and three like Lupin has grown and has like accepted mm-hmm. Snape as someone who is working for Dumbledore working for the order and like is able to be civil with him and Sirius has not and like yeah those words that are interchanged between Sirius and Snape end up like kind of leading to Sirius's rash actions and his death so yeah it just like changes so much of Harry's perspective about so many of the adults in his life, like mm-hmm. Sirius, Ramus, his parents, and I honestly think like inversely, he can't see that his father was a bully and a bad person without also accepting that like he was a bully and a bad person to Snape, mm-hmm. and Snape deserves some sympathy for that. Like even yeah. me as like a very ardent like not Snape apologist, like some of the things that James did like were mean and terrible to Snape and like he was a victim in some of these circumstances Mm -hmm. and I think like with Harry accepting that his dad did these things he also in turn had to accept that like he did them to Snape you know and how that changed his own perspective it like primes Harry for seeing Snape's side of everything in seven yeah and I think that like right the takeaway from from the Snape's memories is not plot wise the main takeaway from that in seven is supposed to be for Harry to know that he has to go into the forest and and die yeah but obviously we see the effect it has on Harry in his opinion of Snape and I think like without this primer I think it, it would be a lot harder to imagine Harry becoming a full Snape apologist um yeah and I think like obviously he would still get the the I need to go die out of it but I don't think he gets the full effect of the Snape memories and honestly who knows if he Snape even gives him all those memories as context Mm. you know like I don't know yeah it's very interesting this memory is so important (laughs) so many I mean so many of these memories are like as we talked about them um but the next one is the only other one in order of the phoenix that we see and this one's very short and sweet It's Dumbledore's memory of Trelawney giving the prophecy. So at this point in the book, it's like, it's that part of Order of the Phoenix after the Battle of the Department of Mysteries, after Sirius has died, after Harry has thrown his temper tantrum inside of Dumbledore's office, and Dumbledore's trying to like calm him down. And as I was listening and reading through this chapter, I really think this would be a good one to do for a Patreon episode, Mm. because this is like... We just did the, like, kind of Dumbledore wrap-up info dump of Half-Blood Prince. This is, like, the Dumbledore wrap-up info dump of Order of the Phoenix. Right. Um, where he, like, talks about the memory and the impact the memory has and, like, what it means and what it doesn't mean, which is a lot of what we talked about recently in our January Patreon episode. He also reiterates in Half-Blood Prince. Um... This is a memory like the Bertha Jorkins one that we don't experience, that we just see kind of floating at the top of the pensive. Um, and it's specifically just Trelawney giving the prophecy. So, it, and the only purpose of this is so we can hear the prophecy because at this point it's been destroyed and nobody heard it during the battle. Mm-hmm. So this is giving the reader and Harry the word-for-word account of what the prophecy is and tying this back to Snape's memories at the end of Seven. We also kind of see events leading up to this and the fallout of this and Snape overhearing it and how that leads to kind of everything that happens afterwards. 
Um, it's the first time we really learn and hear that neither can live while the other survives and that Harry has to be the one to kill Voldemort. So kind of like I said, this is really the first big info dump priming Harry for what's going to happen in seven. Um, cause like previously it was more, the info dumps weren't so much about like Harry's role in everything. Like at the end of four, they kind of just talk about like how Voldemort's back and like how we'll handle that. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, this is the first one of like, I mean, it's obviously where he, the prophecy. So it's where we learn about the connection between the two of them in like a more concrete way. Um, and we also learned that the prophecy could have applied to Neville at this moment. Um, Dumbledore brings up that Neville's parents had thrice defied Voldemort at this point. He was also born at the end of December, um, but Voldemort picked Harry. Um, there are lots of theories mm-hmm. as to why he might have done that, but all we know is that he picked Harry and thus self fulfilled the prophecy again we talked so much about this in our last patreon episode so i won't go into it too much but dumbledore explains to harry that like the reason the prophecy has power is because voldemort gave it power if voldemort had not gone to their house in godric's hollow that night and tried to kill harry and marked him as his equal the prophecy would not have come true yeah and he only did this because he heard the prophecy from (laughs) snape anyways (laughs) that's the importance of that memory again so important (laughs) to like really have that like word for word recount of what it is especially because we like think it's lost right like the whole battle of department of mysteries seems so like pointless at this point like because like Sirius wasn't even there and they don't even hear the memory yeah (sighs) so The next memory is the beginning of the Get to Know Voldemort series. And so this will be the next couple memories. But the first one is a memory from the perspective of ministry worker Bob Ogden. Bob Ogden is maybe one of my favorite trivia questions. (laughs) His name to me is just like so memorable and I will never, like it's just something that I will never forget. Like I'll always know the answer to this trivia question. I just think it's a great name. So... We pick up uh, with Bob Ogden, like, walking through Little Hangleton, um, and he gets sent to a house, which we learn is the Gaunt House, where he was sent because there were reports of a of somebody doing magic in front of a muggle, slash, literally, magic on a muggle. <laughs> so here, he meets, slash, we meet the Gaunts, Morphin, Marvolo, and... I'm going to say Moropi because that's what Jim Dale says. And if you know anything about me at all, I am a Jim Dale purist. <laughs> so I'm going to say Moropi. I know some people say Marope, but that sounds like a terrible name. I like the name Moropi better anyways. <laughs> and we also get to catch a glimpse of Tom Riddle Sr. in this memory as well. That's the first time we get to see like Voldemort's magical side of the family. Like we've heard about the riddles through like the graveyard scene in Goblet of Fire already. Um, And so we get to meet Voldemort's magical side of the family and his mother, his uncle, and his grandfather. Um, It's the first time we get to meet his mother. It's really the first time we have any information about his mother at all Mm -hmm. up to this point in the series. Um, We learn after the memory that Dumbledore has guessed that 
Merope gave Tom Riddle Sr. a love potion to seduce him. And that was like the whole, because Harry is like, how did they end up together? Like, it's not, like, he's obviously dating this other woman in the memory. So Dumbledore says, like, he guessed that Merope gave Tom Riddle Sr. a love potion to seduce him. And we also learn of Dumbledore's discovery of Merope's fate. Um, we learn that she sold Slytherin's locket, which we see in the memory. So we actually see two horcruxes throughout this memory. We see the ring as well as the locket. Mm. And we get mentions to their Slytherin heritage. Um, but we see how she sold the locket for way less than it was worth because of how desperate she was. We see her go to the orphanage or not. We don't see these things. Dumbledore tells us we learned that she like went to the orphanage to give birth to Tom and that the last thing she said was that she wanted him to be named after her, his father, Tom Riddle. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of a memory slash like monologue info dump um but the rest of the information we learn about Merope just spans so much time that like it's more effective to do it as a monologue but like to get the setup of the three characters of Morphin, Marvolo, and Merope and kind of the circumstances in which they live and to see the ring and to see the locket we see that gaunt house memory mm-hmm. and so then uh the next memory that Dumbledore shows Harry is his own memory memory of meeting Tom Riddle for the first time and I just thought it was funny he calls his own memory quote rich in detail and satisfyingly accurate (laughs) um so obviously this is when Dumbledore goes to the orphanage to explain to Tom Riddle that he is a wizard and he has a spot at Hogwarts for the upcoming school year uh, so when Dumbledore arrives at the orphanage, he first has a conversation with Mrs. Cole, and this is where we presumably find out that Dumbledore, like, learned all the information, or some of the information, that he told Harry after seeing that last memory. Um, so Mrs. Cole talks about how Tom's mother showed up, Merope showed up and gave birth to Tom, and then promptly died and asked that her last request was to ask for Tom to be named Tom Riddle um and we hear about Mrs. Cole talk about the quote-unquote incidents with the other kids and Billy Stubbs rabbit and things going missing um and Dumbledore learns he's like so he's a bully right okay so (laughs) all right let me see what I'm dealing with here (laughs) um and then we see Dumbledore get to meet Tom so Tom, when Dumbledore is brought to his room, is immediately defensive. Um, he's like, she wants me checked out. Like, he thinks Dumbledore is, like, there to tell him he's crazy or bring him to a psych hospital or something. He immediately is uh, not trusting of any stranger. Um, and then Dumbledore explains who he is, the powers that he has are magic, and that Tom is a wizard. And we see Tom's world change and how he talks about how he always knew he was special um, and all of the things that he can do. And Dumbledore then tries to teach him that he will have to control his magic at Hogwarts. He can't steal, he can't bully others. Um, and he tries to like kind of intervene at this point. Uh, obviously, we know that it is not successful, but this is maybe Dumbledore's like first and only chance to like change who Tom Riddle is. But obviously, it wasn't much of a chance at all. 
Um, he then, Dumbledore explains that Tom will need to go get his school supplies and to catch the train on September 1st. And Tom does not want help doing this. So we see like his sort of independence. Um, and this memory is like super important because obviously we've learned a bit about Tom Riddle already, but this is the first time we actually see him in the context of like learning about him, right? We saw the, the only other time Harry's seen Tom Riddle was through the diary and that's like Voldemort's own how Voldemort wants to portray himself and this is seeing him through Dumbledore's memory probably more accurate and will allow him to learn more about the way Tom Riddle operates um so we see glimpses of like his personality his cunning his creepiness um and these things only like grow and get worse over the coming memories that Dumbledore shows Harry. So it's kind of just like an introduction to this already like corrupted character. And Dumbledore does like kind of highlight a few things to Harry uh, after they see this memory. And like he, he, when we see younger Dumbledore in the memory, we know that he's like trying to bring him into the world. That's like his duty as headmaster, or not even headmaster at this point, but as a teacher at Hogwarts um, and give him a chance. But you can tell he is a bit unnerved and he like reflects these things to Harry afterwards. So he points out how Tom had like unusual control and awareness over his powers and how he was already using them to torture and hurt other kids, which is like all other instances we really hear of kids with magical powers before like going to hogwarts or getting their wands and especially kids who don't know that their powers are magical um they really don't have a lot of control like they do kind of just like silly things and like their magic comes out in ways to like protect them but tom is like actively using his magic so you can already see his power tom tells dumbledore that he's a parcel mouth in this or that he can speak to snakes we learn about Tom's aversion to his name, um, and this is our first hint at like his aversion to the Muggle side of his family. Um, we learn that he preferred to operate alone because he didn't want Dumbledore's help going to Diagon Alley, and we learn about him collecting trophies, which obviously <laughs> evolves into collecting Horcruxes. Um, but Dumbledore makes sure to point out these few things about Tom that like are already evident at such such a young age yeah and this is like the youngest we ever see Voldemort like chronologically this is the first time that we see him yeah so the next memory Harry or Dumbledore shows Harry is um Morphin Gaunt meeting Tom Riddle so Tom's Voldemort's uncle um Merope's brother Morphin and it takes place in the summer of Tom Riddle's 16th year so it's just before his sixth year at Hogwarts and it is Morphin Gaunt's memory um that Dumbledore has acquired from him so we open and we see the Gaunt house again and it's in like even worse state than it was before it's completely overgrown and a mess and there's a man sleeping in the armchair and Tom Riddle kind of knocks and pushes the door open and Morphin immediately jumps up and he thinks that Tom Riddle is Tom Riddle Sr. Um, and he's like, you, and he 
is about to like attack him and confront him from for like Merope running off with him and all these things. And Tom, aka Voldemort, speaks to him in partial tongue. And the rest of the conversation all occurs in partial tongue. Um, and this is where Tom gets like more information about his ancestry. So what led him to the Gaunt House was just knowing that his middle name was Marvolo, which he had been told was his grandfather's name. Um, and that's how he got there. But he like doesn't really know much about his ancestry to this point. And yeah, I, like, we know more than he does. Right. So this is when he actually, I think, learns that he is the heir of Slytherin because through this conversation with Morphin, it's pretty brief, but Morphin is kind of recounting the events that led to Tom's birth, Tom's conception. Um, he talks about how his mother slept with a muggle and then fled and robbed them in the process, taking Slytherin's locket with her. So again, we get a mention of the locket. And then Tom, hearing what he's needed to hear, um, figuring out who his father is, who this wizarding side of his family is, he stupefies Morphin. So the memory goes totally black. Um, and Dumbledore fills in the rest for us. We're told that Tom stole his wand and went to kill the riddles with that wand, then returned and planted the false memory in Morphin's mind that Morphin was the one who did it. And when the authorities show up the next day, it's, um, there's not really much of a case like Morphin admits to the murder and it's pretty clear that he's the one who did it. And Morphin is sent to Azkaban and Dumbledore extracts this memory from him through a lot of flagellaments in the final weeks of Morphin's life in Azkaban. So this is, I feel like it's the first like malicious Tom Riddle memory. Like we have seen him as like a young misguided, like kind of creepy kid. And now we're seeing him acting in a more malicious intent, um, showing up to frame his uncle for a crime of a murder, three murders that he committed. Um, of his father and grandparents. Of his father and grandparents. Um, and we also, we get to see him learn about how he is the heir of Slytherin and learn about um, a future Horcrux, right? To this point, we don't think that he has any knowledge of the locket. Uh, but we hear about, he hears about how his mother left with Slytherin's locket, which again will be an object that he tracks down later. Um and it is also, it's not in this memory, but presumably in this encounter with Morphin is when he steals the ring. Um, and we also, again, see, like, his magical prowess at a young age. Dumbledore calls the planting of the false memory a complex bit of magic, which, like, based, like, <laughs> we do not have any evidence of, like, Hogwarts students being able to do something like that. So we know that he's, like, a particularly good wizard. Yeah. So the next memory we see is the Hepzibah Smith memory. Um, but before we see that, Dumbledore gives a little bit of background to Harry about Tom Riddle in his last years of Hogwarts and post-graduating Hogwarts. Can I just interject in that we do see the fake Slughorn memory um, immediately mm -hmm. after the Morphin Gaunt memory, but... I moved that one to later, and I'm going to talk about it in conjunction with the real Slughorn memory. So there is one in between, um, but yeah, then we get Hepzibah Smith. 
So we learned that many students and staff had really high hopes and that um, Tom Riddle would have a bright future in the wizarding world. He was smart. He was charming. A lot of people thought he would go into ministry work, but he ended up working at Borg and Burks, which shocked a lot of people. But this only occurred after he asked Dippet for a job at Hogwarts. He wanted to teach Defense Against the Dark Arts. Um, but Dippet said, no, you're a little too young. Maybe come back when you're a little bit older. Another very interesting point that was made was that Defense Against the Dark Arts at the time was being taught by Professor Mary Thought, who had been at Hogwarts for 50 years, which would cover time during <laughs> Fantastic Beasts. So there's a lot of uh, subject switching going on between these professors. (laughs) Just saying. Um, Anyways, this memory is from the perspective of a house elf Hokey who served an older witch, older wealthy witch named Hepzibah Smith, who was acquainted with Tom Riddle through his work at Borgian and Burks because she was an avid collector of historical magical objects and had worked with Borgian and Burks both through buying objects as well as selling some of her own to them. So we pick up with Tom Riddle using his charms to full effect on Hepzibah. Um, We see that he is, according to Harry, peak handsomeness right now. (laughs) Um, His hair is longer than it was the last time we saw him. His cheekbones are, his cheeks are a little bit more hollow um, but here he mentions that it only added to his beauty, basically. <laughs> um, and we see that with his charm, he's able to gain Hepzibah Smith trust enough to have her show him her two most prized possessions from her collection that she doesn't even show her family. I think like her family knows that she has the cup, but I don't think they know that she has the locket at Mm. this point in time. Um, And she like hides it away because she's afraid of her family stealing it. And I will say at this point, we do hear her say that the cup does possess great powers, though she has not um, like experimented on it. So she doesn't know what those powers are. Um, But like I said, we see both the cup and the locket and we see Tom Riddle's reaction to both and they are quite a bit different Um, to the cup. He's kind of just fascinated, but to the locket, he like, obviously from the information we know, he acts very like possessively. Like it's mentioned that he grabs the locket before asking permission. Whereas with the cup, he waited until she gave him permission to grab it. Um, so we see kind of his more attachment to the locket than mm. the cup for obvious reasons. But we also see that the cup very much intrigued him. Um, along with his appearance, though, we do see go, um, tying into his reaction to the locket. When he sees the locket, his eyes do gleam red for a moment. Um, so it's kind of a hint to the fact that in the timeline, he has most likely already made two horcruxes at this point um so like his soul is already fractured quite a bit Mm -hmm. um after the memory we learn that two days later i believe hepzibah was found dead and hokey was convicted of the crime because she convinced well she confessed to putting something in her mistress's cocoa um that was ended up not being sugar 
Um, and we see kind of Dumbledore's interpretation of this memory and the importance of it to him. So we see that he encounters two objects that we know later he collected for the purpose of creating Horcruxes. At this point, we don't hear that. Um, but we like specifically see his reaction to the locket. And I was just like thinking, do we think Tom Riddle still would have killed Hepzibah if he if she didn't have the locket and just had the cup? Mm. Like I get that he wanted to cover his tracks as well, but I think he had like particular like he felt very possessive over the locket. And I think that it's very safe to say that he was like very upset that she had it. Like she didn't deserve yeah. it. She was yeah. not a descendant of Slytherin. It's unjust that she had it in the first place, which I think like brought out some like anger and malicious intent in him. I think he would have killed her like because it would be the smart thing to do for like yeah. covering his tracks. But I think there definitely was like an anger component in his um, killing her with the locket there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also just wanted to say that I think this memory is like really heartbreaking to me and like possibly the most heartbreaking. Like we obviously see that this like older woman is like fairly isolated in like her world. She like doesn't have a great relationship with her family. It seems like she doesn't really have connections with her family. Um, and the kind of like Tom Riddle, she like, she, like she uses Tom Riddle as kind of this like surrogate to get attention and mm. to feel wanted that she might not feel otherwise and he like obviously takes advantage of that and manipulates her um and like not only does he do that to her but then like the cruelty of like blaming Hokey for it um and just kind of like the fear yeah. of Hokey it's just like it's really sad to me yeah definitely um, so the next memory we see happens chronologically 10 years after the Hokey memory and in between he has resigned abruptly from Borgen and Burks and disappeared. Like nobody really know what knows what happened to happened to him in these intervening 10 years. Dumbledore has heard some rumors. He knows kind of where he is now, but just those 10 years he was off the grid. So this is another memory from the perspective of Dumbledore. And update number two on Tom Riddle's appearance. Um, he's much closer to, like, he looks much closer to Voldemort. His eyes looked permanently bloodshot, um, but his pupils were not quite slits. His face was wax-like and looked blurry, kind of like not real looking. Um, he was much paler. His voice was higher pitched and colder. So very different Tom Riddle. And as we see later on in the memory, um, Dumbledore calls him Tom Riddle and he's like, I don't go by that name anymore. And Dumbledore's like, I know, but I'm so, just, I like old habits die hard. I'm just going to continue to call you Tom Riddle. So what's the plan? Like, was he, did he want to be called Professor Voldemort? It's literally my next note. Can you imagine <laughs> students calling him Professor Voldemort? <laughs> like what? I guess yeah, it doesn't really he wants his followers call him the Dark Lord. Like they don't call him Voldemort. Yeah. So I guess yeah. he wanted to be Professor Dark Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, like obviously, I don't mind. I talk about this at the end of the memory. So getting through like the content of the memory, um, Voldemort. I'm gonna. Con I'm call. He is now Voldemort. So I will refer to him as Voldemort now. Um, Voldemort says that he doesn't understand how a wizard such as Dumbledore could remain at Hogwarts even after he was offered a minister of magic position three times which i thought was just interesting i don't know if it's a hint towards like tom riddle kind of 
sorry, Voldemort knowing more about Dumbledore and like his past mm. than maybe like the reader does at this point. Um, cause it's kind of like, I read it as like kind of backhanded, like, I don't know how a wizard like as skilled and as like, um, prolific as yourself would still be at this school Dumbledore like don't you want more power mm-hmm. and um Dumbledore even like says something like I think like you like he alludes to the fact that Tom Riddle could have also had great ministry dreams and ambitions if he mm-hmm. wanted to but we've chosen different paths um Voldemort then asks for a job freely admitting he's done things and seen things and pushed the boundaries of magic and could teach students things beyond Dumbledore's imagination. Um, which, like, is not a great strategy to get Dumbledore to hire you as a professor at Hogwarts. <laughs> um, he's basically, like, the, 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 like, stuff I could teach your students, you wouldn't even believe Dumbledore. Like, horcruxes and um... <laughs> And even back then, we hear about Dumbledore proclaiming that love is the most powerful kind of magic. Because Dumbledore is like, oh, Tom, like, I, there's still great, like, there's still types of magic, great magic that you have know nothing of. And he's like, oh my god, you're still on this about love magic? Um, so we see even then, Dumbledore was trying to caution Voldemort, and Voldemort just completely ignored him. Like, if Voldemort had learned about love magic, the outcome could have been very different for him. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn that he has Death Eaters already, um, and they're called Death Eaters. Mm. Um, and so that kind of like wraps up the content of the memory. Like Dumbledore knows things that like, he's like, oh, I know your Death Eaters are in the Hogshead because I'm friendly with a barman there. Like hint, hint to Abelforth, obviously. Um, but the purpose of this memory, we learn Dumbledore takes to mean that Tom Riddle wanted to, come back to search Hogwarts for potential Gryffindor and Ravenclaw objects, but we know that Voldemort used this as the time to drop off the diadem. He'd already found it. This is when he plants it inside Hogwarts. Um, Obviously, Dumbledore refuses to hire Voldemort. I didn't mention that, but you should know (laughs) that by now. Um, And, like, obviously, I think it would be very very arrogant of Voldemort to actually believe that he was making a case and had a chance of being hired like I that obviously wasn't the purpose of this Mm. of him coming to Hogwarts like I think he would have been thrilled to be hired as defense against the dark arts teacher but I don't think he actually had a bunch of hope for that Mm -hmm. to be the outcome um I think he basically just kind of wanted to like taunt Dumbledore to like be like look how powerful I am now like I went down the path that you told me not to and like I'm still I'm still chilling you know mm-hmm. um and obviously to drop off Ravenclaw's diadem we also learn that this is the moment in time the exact moment when the defense against the dark arts professor position was cursed never since that day has Dumbledore been able to retain a defense against the dark arts professor for more than one year so petty. <laughs> but I guess also not petty because, like, it did serve him and that the people he ended up fighting were terribly trained in defense against the Dark Arts. Yeah. Okay. So now 
going back a little bit, um, we have the two slughorn memories. So, like I said, the fake one, um, we see immediately after the morphing gone memory, because that's like chronological in Tom Riddle's life. It occurs during Tom Riddle's sixth year at Hogwarts. Um, so it's very short. Um, obviously we know Slughorn has tampered with it to remove his praise of Tom and, uh, his response to the question of Horcruxes. So just to set the scene, it does occur in Slughorn's office, um, when he's having this little slug club with basically all Slytherin students, I think, including Tom Riddle. And pretty much from jump, it's different in that, um, Slughorn is thanking Tom for the crystallized pineapple and like in the real memory he says like you're gonna go far and in this memory it gets all like like narrated over Slughorn saying like you'll yo you won't go far blah 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 I think it's like you'll go wrong yeah mark my words or something like that right and then we see Slughorn dismiss the students Tom Riddle hangs back asks about horcruxes and Slughorn immediately is like, how dare you ask me about that? Blah, 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 blah. So it's really brief. It's like a page long. Um, and after seeing this, Dumbledore sets Harry with the task of securing the real memory. And the one like kind of real piece of information we do get from this is that we do see the ring on Tom's finger. And we know that at this point he has um, already killed his father and stolen the ring from Morphin. And again, this is one of the Horcruxes popping up um, as an object in these memories. So then, uh, further into the book, we do see the real memory, which... In the chapter Horcruxes. The chapter Horcruxes, (laughs) chapter 23, which we just talked about um, on our patron feed. So if you want to hear a breakdown of this whole chapter, I highly recommend going to listen to that. Um, the memory, we obviously learn what Slughorn really told Tom about Horcruxes. Um, they discuss about how to make them not really concretely, but about what a Horcrux is and the fact that it requires killing and also some sort of spell in order to encase the piece of your soul that is torn off when you kill someone into an object and this is when we actually hear tom asking if one horcrux is really enough or if it's really useful um and wouldn't it be better if for you say for instance had seven horcruxes because that is the most powerful magical number and Slughorn does at one point tell him it's a banned subject at Hogwarts, but obviously we see Slughorn have more of a conversation with Tom about Horcruxes and give him quite a bit of information. In Slughorn's mind, it's all like, quote unquote, theoretical and educational, but um, we know that this is where Tom did gain a lot of information because we do know that like a few months later, he made the kill to, to create his first Horcrux in the diary. And so the significance of this memory to Dumbledore's knowledge is really just finding out the number that Tom had in mind. Um, But it does kind of spur a longer conversation for Dumbledore to explain Horcruxes and how they work and what Horcruxes are in play to Harry. Um, And this is when, this is like the setup for the rest of the series. Like this is basically when Dumbledore tells Harry how 
it is possible to kill Voldemort. What Horcruxes may need to be destroyed. What ones are still out there and they don't know or haven't seen. Um, and the fact that Harry will be allowed to join Dumbledore on his pursuit of the next Horcrux. Um, we even get so far in the conversation following this memory to talk about Harry and the prophecy again and the role that Harry has to play in this but we do not talk about Harry himself being a horcrux so for the breakdown of that conversation I really I highly recommend going to listen to our episode because I feel like we had some good things to say um and it is like it's a loaded conversation like that chapter has this memory which is fairly brief and then that conversation but this memory of course is important because it does lead Dumbledore to be confident in how many horcruxes um Voldemort actually made yes but was he right he was confident in a number but was he right in that number or was he lying to Harry check out our episode (laughs) to hear our thoughts (laughs) so then the final memories that we see in the series are of course the Snape Lily memories. Snape Snape's memories of Lily and his relationship with Lily and his role in the war and his conversations with Dumbledore and whatnot. Um but that we're gonna save for another day because as you can imagine it's loaded and we would have a lot to say about that. So stay tuned um for an episode on that coming out. And I'm sure it'll be heavily influenced by both of our opinions on Snape. Yeah, maybe a little sneak peek on... I guess we've already shown you guys a sneak peek on how we feel about Snape. (laughs) (laughs) So, for our pop quiz question, we did just, like, pretty basically, what is your favorite memory that we see throughout the series? We got a couple answers on Facebook. Yes, so Leia said the one with Hepzibah Smith and Hokey, and Shelby said the Hepzibah Smith. Hepzibah Smith one as well. My favorite memory. I mean, the Hepzibah Smith one does stand out because um, I feel like it's very detailed and very unlike all the others. But I think I have to go with the. She's now I'm just thinking of the Tom Riddle ones because we talked about them. More I know recently, we just but talked like, about them for There's so also long. the trial ones, like yeah. Um, but I do think my favorite is actually the um, Dumbledore meeting Tom Riddle for the first time at the orphanage, mm-hmm. because I do think it just like it's very like it just sets up everything you're gonna learn about Tom Riddle, and it does so well to like create a through line for this 11 year old to the Voldemort we know. Like I think the things that come through in him as an 11 year old are very believable for like his situation. And also it's so easy to see like how it's going to like fester and get worse and just grow into this monster. Yeah. I like Hepzibah Smith is one that like has always stood out to me. Like I really love that memory. Um, Obviously, the trials because they're in Goblet of Fire <laughs> is a good one, and then like Snape's worst memory is also like so like earth shattering to the reader and to Harry mm-hmm. at that moment in time that it's just like it's uh, all like a lot of these memories are so so important. Like I don't I don't know if we've said that enough this episode. <laughs> um, 
but I think I have to agree with our two listeners on Facebook. I really do think it's the Hepzibah Smith and Hokey memory. I just think like Hepzibah Smith is like such an interesting character mm. that we were like introduced to so quickly. Um, and I would love to just like hear more about her. She seems like just such a interesting lady. <laughs> yeah. And plus like it's a Hufflepuff heavy. So yeah, no, that's a great memory. I And I do think, like, we've said it so many times, but, like, the memories are such a crucial part of information dumping in the series. And, like, I don't know, they're just, like, such a fun breakup of, like, the day-to-day normal plot yeah. of the series. And so I think they really are, like, probably one of my favorite parts, of, like, throughout the series. Like, all of them. Yeah. I will say, the memory that you picked, the, like, um the first time we meet Tom Riddle is really the only memory that we see in the movies. Like we see the slughorn memory because that's like a driving plot mm-hmm. point throughout the series or throughout that book, like Harry trying to get the memory. But the only of the like get to know Voldemort memories mm-hmm. that we see is that one. Um, so obviously the uh, filmmakers agree with you for yeah. it being possibly the best I slash mean, if, most important yeah i think if you're gonna show only one of them you have to show that one right it also like it doesn't introduce too much like you know like the gaunt mm-hmm. memory would introduce like five more characters yeah. like the hepzibah smith memory also more new characters Definitely. whereas like this one is pretty like self-contained and easy yeah for sure and it's like the start so i think they just yeah felt like they could do that um yeah we do see the the trials in the movies and well we see we see parts of versions the trials. of the trials yeah. we yeah. see karkaroff and we see oh well no we only see karkaroff yeah yeah because we see him implicating junior. yeah junior in that one, um yeah. interesting all right um you can go find us on various podcast platforms make sure you rate and review us on both apple podcasts and spotify podcasts you can i we've plugged our patreon enough so i won't do it again here <laughs> but you can follow us on social media we are wizard studies podcast on facebook and instagram wizard studies on twitter and wizard studies podcast group if you want to join our facebook group nice As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot.